We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 today. And last week uh, we looked at the question, what is the gospel? And we saw that the gospel is for all of life, not just the entry point into life in Christ, but for, for all of it to be, to be applied all the time. And we considered the discipline of preaching the gospel to yourself daily and how God uses that to transform life. And today I, I want to take a second look at this idea, uh, but from another vantage point, from another passage of scripture, uh, and how God uses the gospel to transform us. I know some of you are very disappointed right now because I was going to be speaking about church membership today. And so um, for those of you that, you know, uh, are really, up, you know, disappointed about that, the Lord willing, August 1st, we shall address that topic. But for today, I want to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 and stand with me to read God's word. Uh, well, I want to take this, this opportunity to take a look at the gospel from another vantage point, kind of like looking at the Grand Canyon from, from the North Rim, if you're used to looking at it from the South Rim. Uh, I mentioned last week that the gospel is, is like a diamond. There are so many facets. There are so many uh, ways at, that it affects us. And so we couldn't exhaust the, the, the gospel. And so even two weeks is a very brief look. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. We began the service with these words. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And Lord, as we look at your word today, we are humbled in your presence. We are, we are small. We, are, we, we feel insignificant and, and in, 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 the, in the midst of your greatness. But we thank you, Lord, that while you are awesome and and awe-inspiring you are also very near to us thank you lord that you are with us now and we pray as we open your word that you would teach us that you would change us we pray in jesus name amen It's always good to rehearse the gospel. It's always good to recount, retell, and review. For those that are in Christ, you know that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That we have all Christ's riches. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that. Yet often, we live as paupers. We live as beggars living in the slums of despondency rather than being overcomers and basking in the magnificent glory of God's goodness and grace, the basking in the mansions of His delight. We, we live far lower than, than God would want us. And I, Last week I mentioned that all of our problems really are a failure to apply the gospel. All of our problems are really a result of not applying the gospel truth 
of Christ and him crucified. When I do that, when I apply the gospel truth of Christ and him crucified to every situation of life, things fall in place. And when I do not, things fall apart. But what I want you to see today is that the answer to all of our problems and the answer to all of our weaknesses lies in the gospel. And we need and we have a gospel manifesto by which to navigate life. Now, we know that gospel means good news. The, the Greek word is euangelion in the secular Greek context in which it was used. It was always used of receiving news from the battlefront of a victory. It was news that a herald would bring from the front lines. And it was the primary word early Christians used as the basis for their new identity in Christ and the message and mission of the gospel. So we know what the good news is. But what about the manifesto? The manifesto is an odd term. It's a different animal. It's from an Italian word, manifesto. A manifesto is a clear call for a course of action. A manifesto is a call to act upon a certain teaching or way of viewing the world. It is a statement of purpose and intent. So a gospel manifesto says, here's the need and agenda based on Christ's work on the cross. Here's the bottom line on top this morning, by the way. Our great need on an ongoing basis... As we are reoriented around gospel truth in Christ, is to remain in the realm of the gospel, and to and also to recover a gospel mindset whenever we drift away, whenever we stray from that by God's Spirit through His Word and for His glory. Basically, it's the idea of us needing to be saturated with the gospel to be marinating let's use a good summertime grilling term marinating in the gospel fully immersed in the truths being anchored in it and literally lashed to the mast of the gospel giving the gospel central place in our lives every day even under the intense pull to abandon it or to drift away from the message of Christ and him crucified the ideas of continually refocusing and retooling as we retell the message. The, re, the life-giving, life-altering, universe-exploding and transforming truth of God's victory over sin and death in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's God's calling for every Christian. That's God's intent for us. Ray Ortland Jr. wrote something that really captured my attention. Here's what he said. He said, a, a wave of authentic revival sweeps over the church when three things happen together. Teaching the great truths of the gospel with clarity, applying those truths to people's lives with spiritual power, and extending that experience to large numbers of people. Authentic revival sweeps over the church when these three things happen. Uh, teaching the great truths of the gospel with clarity, applying these great truths to people's lives and with power, and extending that experience to lots and lots of people. 
And he wonders on paper what Christ's church would look like without the gospel. Imagine it for a moment. The centrality of the gospel would have to be replaced with something else. Something else, maybe even something good, would would be put in its place. Imagine the church without the gospel central. What might take the place of the gospel in our sermons and books and Bible classes and home groups and above all in our hearts? Some of the examples might be this. Maybe a complete absorption with recovery from past emotional traumas. That could replace the gospel. Or passionate devotion to the pro-life cause. For many, that has replaced the gospel as central. Or confident reliance on modern managerial techniques. Or focus on church growth and success. Or a deep concern for the family. Or a fixation on the more unusual gifts of the Spirit. Or an appeal to consumerism by offering a cost-free Christianity light. Or a sympathetic, empathetic cultivation of interpersonal relationships. Or trying to take America back to its Christian roots through political power. Or an affirmation of self-esteem. Any of these things could take the place of the gospel in the church of Jesus Christ. The church without the gospel might fixate on many such things to define itself and its mission. We could marginalize or even, or even lose the gospel and still go on our way oblivious to our loss thinking we were on track. Now, as Ortland points out, not only is this imaginable, it is actually happening. And whatever you might think of the things that I just mentioned as alternatives to the centrality of the gospel, and by the way, some of them are genuinely valid and even urgent needs, especially the family. None of them is central to our faith. None of them is the gospel or deserves to push the gospel to the side in our message, in our agenda, and in our hearts. But the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is today suffering humiliation at the hands of Christians by our obvious neglect of it. So how do we make sure we aren't moved away, as Colossians 1.23 says, moved away from the hope of the gospel? How, how can we make sure that we're not off track? And, and if we have moved, how do you get back? Now, I've titled this message, uh, A Gospel Manifesto. It's a, a bold title that... Uh, I'm hoping I can deliver on. On the other hand, if I just preach the gospel, that would be enough. You could say that the entire Bible is a gospel manifesto. That every passage of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, either predicts, prepares for, points to, or proceeds from the gospel message. 
from the work of Christ. Take the book of Romans, for example. The first 11 chapters, Romans chapters 1 through 11, are some of the most gospel-saturated words in the entire Bible. And then you get to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and the rest of the book of Romans. I've got to tell you something about when I first became a believer. When I first came to know Christ in 1982, I wanted to get as far away from my old life as I could, and I immersed myself in the Word of God. Specifically, particularly, um, most focused in Romans chapter 12. I read Romans chapter 12 over and over and over again. To the point that when I went to my pastor at the time and I told him that, my, that I had come to know Christ, he said, when I was in the college group at Downey First Baptist, and he said, Gary Nealon said to me, he said, well, this week you're going to be sharing in the college group. You're going to be telling this story. So I, I, uh, I went up in front of the college group that week and, and read them all of Romans chapter 12. I told him, I said, God has been changing my life and and this is what's been most impactful. But here's something I didn't realize till a few years down the road. I had been reading and reading and rereading and rereading and didn't realize something huge that I'm trying to show, share with you right now. Is that Romans 12 was, I'm sure you got it, but I didn't. Romans 12 is based on Romans 1 through 11. Romans 1 through 11 are some of the most gospel-saturated words in the Bible. And Romans 12 beginning at Romans 12.1, gives us a course of action based on the truths that are, that, are, that are presented in Romans chapters 1 through 11. The truths laid out in those preceding 11 chapters. So that when the Holy Spirit says to Paul, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And, and what flows out of the rest of that, all is based upon the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. The justification that we receive in Christ, the imputed righteousness that we receive in Christ, all the riches of Christ that we receive. It's all based on that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21 is huge. And uh, I find myself keep, uh, I, I keep going back to these verses. But 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 15, says this. He died for all, that they who live should, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And, and it goes on, and the idea is, is that th those verses and what we are to do as a result are based on the cloud-parting truth that 2 Corinthians chapters 3 through 5 show. That it's all based on something. You can't do an airlift, just airlift into a certain passage and just apply it. You've got to know the context from which it springs, and it's all gospel-saturated context. It's pure gospel. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, pure gospel. So chapters 4 through 6 is based upon that pure gospel. You don't just go to Ephesians 4 through 6 and try to apply that because you will go into a works righteousness if you do. You've got to understand Ephesians 1 through 3. 
Everything that follows is how to live the gospel. They reveal God's sovereign choice. They reveal God's sovereign purpose and his justification of sinners and his subsequent God-initiated, God-sustained resolve to trust him and love him in everything, all based on the gospel. So when you come to Colossians, where we're camping out today, it's chapters 1 and 2 is pure gospel. Pure gospel truth. Colossians was written to believers who were battling false teachers, who were teaching different gospels, who were twisting the scriptures, and they were in danger of obscuring the gospel or having the gospel obscured by lesser things. And Colossians shows the superiority of Christ over everything and how right living is rooted in the heavenly and not the earthly. It's all rooted in the gospel truth. So we come to this passage today, and we're at Colossians 1 and verse 21 through 23, and it's a manifesto. And there are many of them in Scripture, but it's a, it's a gospel manifesto. It's a statement of intent from God to us, about us, about Him, about what He has done, what He is doing, what He will do, and what He wants us to do. And, and remember, as we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul said, not me, but the grace of God with me. Remember how he said, I worked harder than all of them, but it was not me, but, but the grace of God with me. So let's look at Colossians 1.21. And, and the first thing I want to point out is this, and there's going to be three primary things I'll point out today. The first is this, that we are reoriented in Christ. It's about being reoriented in Christ. If you're going to have a gospel manifesto, a course of action, a statement of purpose from which everything else is built, it's got to be start, started with that reorientation that happens when we come to know Christ. Verse 21 says, And you. The Holy Spirit had just rehearsed some amazing, amazing truths about Jesus Christ. How he had made peace by the blood of his cross, through the blood of his cross. How he, has be, how he is preeminent. And, and it says, and you. Now, now about you. How do you relate to him? And it says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Alienated means to be estranged. It means to be excluded and hostile means to be angry and to be enemies. You who were formerly excluded and estranged and, and angry at God, and you were just doing evil deeds, you were, you were engaged in these, these evil deeds, now, because God has broken in, God has now reconciled you, which means to be completely restored. God has now reconciled you in His body of flesh by his death don't don't miss this that in his body of flesh it's the incarnation that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ it talks about substitution by his death we are reconciled by his death Christ took the place of sinners justification where God has declared them not guilty bringing them into right relationship with him whereby we are regenerated by God we are born again we are made new we are made alive spiritually it's a process that God initiates Michael Horton said the good news is not just a series of facts to which we yield our assent 
but a dramatic narrative that replots our identity. It's not facts that you just check off and say, I- I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. It's, it's, a, it's a story, it's a, it's a narrative. It's a, he uses the example of a theatrical play. That each week we come with our own script. And we try to impose it on God. And God comes and gives us a new script where our original character dies and is raised with the lead character. And instead of us finding a supporting role for God in our play, God writes us into his script. And he doesn't just offer a blueprint that if you just follow it step by step, everything will work out right. It's this, it's this, this story whereby the Spirit brings us into God's drama. And we are no longer in Adam, under the reign of sin and death, but we are alive in Christ and we are being moved by the Spirit. We've been moved by the Spirit of God. We have been regenerated. We have been made new. Your life is completely reoriented in Christ. You've got to start there. Complete reorientation. If there hasn't been that, you probably don't know Christ. You need to have the reorientation. It will happen when you are regenerated. It change, God makes all things new. Anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you can't find that in your life, then you need Jesus. You need to know Jesus. But the second thing is this. It's, it's about, not just about being reor- reoriented in Christ, it's about remaining in Christ. Remaining. See, God has now reconciled us in his body through his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Set apart with no sin being held to your account and above reproach. Most of us find it hard to be called above reproach. Nothing with which to be condemned, nothing that, can, that we could be accused by. That's the idea that God is going to present, present us before him, holy, blameless, and above reproach. But verse 23 has a, has a big little word. If. Since could mean since as well, but let's read it in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, there is something, there is this relationship that's taking place whereby we are making decisions. We're not in control, but we are to be under the Spirit's control. We're to remain in Christ. We're to be anchored, not moved. Hebrews 6, 19 says that this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, it is both sure and steadfast. But it says, if indeed you continue. Continue means to stay on. It means to, to persevere. In the faith. Persevere in the faith. Firmly established. That's the idea of setting a foundation. Being grounded. And steadfast. It means to take your seat. To take your seat. To, to sit. To be firm in your position. You get the idea? It's a a solid relationship here. It's the idea of abiding in Christ. And it's not something that we sustain, but it is something that we cooperate with. 
Colossians 2 and verses 6 and 7, a few verses away, says this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, literally live your life in Him. Rooted. The idea there is being, taking hold. The roots uh, going down deep and taking hold. Not being able to be moved. Uh, and built up. It's the idea of building on the foundation. And established, which means to be made secure and strong. Go back to verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Not shifting from the hope. Not moved away. C.J. Mahaney said, Never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. Never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depth man will never exhaust. How do you stand firm? How do you remain? You can look over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. It talks about putting on something. Putting on. The idea is you've put to death what, what was part of your old life. And by the way, if you're going back to your old life, you haven't put it to death. You put to death what is earthly in you. Verse 5. All those things. Put them all away, it says in verse, verse 8. And then it says in verse 10, put on the new self, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The idea is that it's not automatic, but we have to, we got to, Make decisions by the Spirit. If by the Spirit we are putting to death the deeds of the body, we will live. Remaining in Christ is, 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 is somewhat of a mystery to us. And it's, it's, um, it's God working together with us. Us working together with God. And God, the strong one, we, the weak, uh, but His grace is sufficient for us. When we are weak, we are strong. Jesus is all sufficient. And it bears repeating often that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That the only begotten Son of God, the, the eternal Word made flesh, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, perfect in nature and teaching and obedience, fully God, fully man, was always with God, is God. And through Him all things came into being and were created. I was talking to my kids last night. We were reading in, in Colossians 1, and I talked to them about how it says in, in Colossians 1 that in Him, all things hold together. I said, look at your arm for a minute. Just look at your arm. The only reason that all the molecules aren't just flying away is because God is holding all things together by the word of His power. All things. Through Him, through him all things come into being and were created. He was before all things. In him all things hold together by the word of his power. He's the only savior who shed his blood and died in our place on Calvary's cross. And as he did that, he revealed God's love, upheld God's justice, removed our guilt, reconciled us to God as, as verse 22 tells us. 
And he redeemed us from sin. He, he rose bodily from the grave. He was victorious over death and all powers of darkness. You're struggling with powers of darkness because we are in a spiritual war. But he has, he has victory over death and all powers of darkness. He ascended into heaven. He's at God's right hand interceding for us. As, as Satan accuses us, Jesus is interceding for us. He's shed blood covering all of our sin. He rules as Lord over all. He is the head of the church. He should be adored. He should be loved. He should be served and, and obeyed and worshipped by all as the all-sufficient one. We know this salvation in which we stand is a free gift from God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. We also know that if anyone turns in repentance and faith to Jesus and his substitutionary death, they receive eternal life. They are declared righteous by God, fully accepted by him through faith in what Jesus did, forgiven the debt of sin. But what happens often is we, we say, yeah, but that's for those people who haven't accepted Christ yet. No, this gospel message is for us to continually rehearse, review, retell. I don't know how well, give me another reword, I'll, I'll say that. It, it's for us forever. Forever. The Holy Spirit works in believers and produces evidence in their lives. He renews our minds so we want to please Him and grow in our knowledge of God and Apart from him, we can do nothing. We're dependent upon him for everything. Jesus is totally sufficient. To be in Christ is to, to know him as your total sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 12.9 As your adequacy. 2 Corinthians 3.5 As your life. Colossians 3.4 I find myself often saying, and I'm probably a broken record to, to my family, but uh, when I sin, it gives me a glimpse of how much I need Jesus. It should not be an excuse for sin. And I am, I've said this many times before, but I am very thankful that sanctification is a process. If it was instantaneous, I would be tempted to think that I did it or I merited it in some way. There's a process that God is bringing us through, and it is a painful process. God uh, continually shows us how much we need Him, how much we need Jesus. And God has uh, continually been teaching me new depths of my sinfulness and the magnitude of His goodness and the magnitude of His grace and it's interesting that in each one of our lives, there's always the things that come back to us and we, we struggle with uh, ongoing. And for me, it's, it's my competitiveness and my tendency to overreact. And God has been teaching me how His grace abounds to overcome those things and, and how to handle stuff. How to handle being misjudged, maybe, or misunderstood. And how to be gracious when you receive that and how to be how to be humbly repentant when you are the perpetrator. But we are to remain in Christ and it is not clean, it is messy. 
But the third thing I want to point out is, is really the heart of where we're going today, and it's this. It's about recovering a gospel mindset. So we're reoriented in Christ, and we are to remain, but we find that we drift. So how do you recover a gospel mindset after drifting? How do you reattach to gospel moorings? How do you continue in the faith? First, let me give you some numbers. I'm not a math whiz, so I might get these numbers wrong, but 85 days, 16 hours, 25 minutes. 85 days, 16 hours, 25 minutes. That's the amount of time elapsed since the April 20th explosion of that BP oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico to its shutoff this past Thursday. We're still not out of the woods. But it is estimated that somewhere between 94 and 184 million gallons of oil were, were spilled during those 85 days, 16 hours, and 25 minutes. Just think about that for a moment uh, as applied to our spiritual life. You may feel like it's been much longer than that since you sensed a, a deep connection to God. Solid connection to Him. You, you may feel like you continually leak God's grace, drifting dangerously in a poison mixture of truth and error, good and evil, and living in fear of God's retaliation on your sin. Rather than in the freedom of the children of God in Christ, you're living by feelings rather than faith, shrinking in shame, not boldly drawing near to God. Well, let me just say this. If you're a Christian, God already retaliated against your sin at the cross. Those who reject Jesus stand condemned by, the, by their own decision. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8.1. But moved away from the hope of the gospel, many Christians flounder. Many Christians are thrashing in, in, the, in the ocean, about to feel like they're about to drown. If you're like me, your love for Jesus easily grows cold. You don't feel it all the time. What you experience here on Sundays lasts as far as the parking lot. If you can get that far. Nothing seems to stick. You show up each Sunday in a spiritual fog. It takes you half an hour just to defrost. You're depleted. You're in desperate need of a, of a gospel transfusion. But we go looking ev- anywhere and everywhere for an answer except the gospel. I realized something in my life just this week, and um, I, I was looking back, and I keep a journal, and I've kept a journal for over 20 years, and, and I've got these on a shelf, and they're all over the place, and, and sometimes I'll go back, and I'll read, and I'll see what God was doing, or what I was dealing with, and it's, it's startling and, and kind of scary to see that 20 years ago, I was still dealing with some of the same stuff. On the other hand, um, one of the things I, I noticed is that God continually gets me to a place where I say, take full possession, Lord. I, I can't do it. I, and, and interestingly, if we don't stay in that place, he brings us to that place. You know what I'm saying? If we don't, if we don't uh, it's like a, a midlife crisis. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm in my 48th year now. Uh, and I don't think I... 
I'm having one or anything. But here's the idea. You don't go through a midlife crisis if you take the hurdles of life, the transitions of life, as they come. But if not, you get stuck somewhere because you didn't handle the transitions. You didn't jump over the hurdles or however you want. You didn't take a right turn. But if we, if we don't take the transitions even in the, in the Christian life as they come, God's going to have to bring us there. And it will be more painful and more startling and, and more, more earth-shaking when it happens. You know, people who say, it was a, what, what, what that happened in my life? It was a wake-up call. I, I was ignoring God, and God woke me up to who he is. Well, see, God wants that to be happening on a daily basis, just not in the huge, huge things, just in, on an on a even keel. So recovering a gospel mindset, let's, let's talk about it for, for a, how do you do it? Okay, Let, let's start with the non-Christians among us. If you're not a Christian, uh, don't pass go, don't collect whatever we're passing out. Uh, just, just turn from your sin to Jesus in faith and repentance. That's all you need to do for the rest of today. Just do that. Turn from your sins to Jesus in faith and repentance. You heard a lot of gospel already today. You can piece that together or we can talk afterwards. Anyone in this room would love to talk to you about that. If you are a Christian, then here it is. Daily, through the power of the Holy Spirit, take every thought captive to obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Jesus. Uh, because the gospel defines reality, resolve to live in the gospel of Christ and Him crucified by taking every thought captive to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says this. It says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's, it's interesting when you read the Bible looking for the gospel. You see it everywhere. Be steadfast, immovable. Don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Don't, don't, be, don't be shifted from the hope of the gospel. Don't be diverted by other things. The gospel is not the only thing in the Christian life, but it is the primary. It is the umbrella under which everything else falls. And maybe we have so many overwhelming problems because we look for answers outside the gospel of Christ. Among the gospel's enemies are several things we bring to the party. Uninvited guests not welcome to the table of grace that don't help our propensity to drift and wander away from the gospel. Legalism is one. Basing our relationship with God on our performance, what we do. Staying in God's good graces and getting him to be in debt to us so that we get what we want. Condemnation. Being more focused on our sin than on God's grace. And I'll give you a third one, subjectivity. You can call it a lot of different things, but basing our view on God, uh, uh, basing our view of God on our changing thoughts and emotions and opinions. Or other people's changing thoughts, emotions, and opinions. If you're not solidly rooted in Christ, you will be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. So we need to continually be aware of our need to recover a gospel mindset. Banishing all rivals to Christ's throne. Milton Vincent wrote this, The gospel is so foolish according to my natural wisdom. 
so scandalous according to my conscience and so incredible according to my timid heart that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. Move away from the gospel and what do you have? Man's empty philosophy and wisdom. Gospel void living is scary. Gospel void living is slavery. Gospel saturated living is freedom. But not easy. See, the Bible throws us off balance. I was, uh, we were up at Hume Lake for a couple days this week visiting our, our people. And, uh, and I saw a, a common game being played. I think it was called Ninja or something. And it's like four people try to kind of get each other off balance a little bit. We, we watched uh, the Kajabi Can-Can, which is, I call it, I think it's four-way tug-of-war. Something like that, you know. It's tug-of-war. Uh, the whole idea is you're, you're trying to pull people off balance. The Bible throws us off balance. Now, there are other forces coming in at us that throw us off balance away from the gospel and cause us to drift. But the Bible itself throws us off balance because it makes us reevaluate our opinions, our views, our priorities, our, re- our version of reality. See, the gospel is sweet to our souls. But as long as we are alive, it will also seem strange to us. Until we die, we will find it hard to believe the bad news about us and the good news about Jesus. See, we do not naturally think we need a mediator. We think we're just fine. We don't naturally think that we start out spiritually dead and helpless and unable to do anything on our own to help ourselves or gain God's favor. It does not occur to us that our greatest need is to be redeemed from sin and to be justified and regenerated and sanctified and and glorified by God's saving work in Christ. It it just doesn't appear to us outside of the word of God breaking in and throwing us off balance. That's why our minds need to be held captive by Christ. That's the whole idea of having the mind of Christ. See, what we think shapes us. And the Bible is not a resource manual for self-improvement. If you're reading it like that, you're reading it wrong. It is a story of crucifixion. The gospel is not a... Here's what the gospel is. A non-gentle jolt to self-dependence and self-absorption. It is a violent affront to a hell-bent agenda. It is death to the lie that you can be your own Savior and Lord. The gospel speaks peace to our souls and death to our godhood. See, the gospel is an external word. It, 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 it stands totally independent of us. Last week I mentioned that we were like elbow macaroni in the hands of God. You've got to listen to it to understand. But let me just say this. Um, we should also be like, like sponges. You could be a sham wow if you want, okay? Um, that's all that is, the sponge anyway. The shammy sponge, Okay? Um, but here's, here's the deal. We should be like sponges soaking up gospel truth. Now, no one that's been here any length of time would, would not know that I am Italian because I'm so proud of, of telling people that, okay? One of my favorite things to do is to come home after a long day and, and settle in and get a, a little bowl of uh, olive oil and, and a little loaf of bread and uh, dip in and, 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 and partake. And if, if you've ever eaten lunch with me at an Italian restaurant, you know I am a 
olive oil hog. I, I, it's got to be all saturated in there. And then I lift it to my mouth, dripping, and, and, and it, it, it's, I get as much as I can. We're to be soaking up gospel truth because whatever we're in closest contact with will, will saturate into us. So we should, it will soak in and it will flavor us. That's why I said we should always be marinating in the gospel. Taking on its full flavors. Being taken over by its influence. Be a spiritual sham wow if you want. But let it be soaking, let, let yourself be soaking in the gospel truth, the grace of God in Christ. Then when you read what you read in the Bible, you're going to see it in a whole different light. You're going to see it in a whole different perspective. It's going to be grace-based, not performance-based. It's going to be Jesus-focused, not self-focused. Let me challenge you to do a couple things this week. Take a few passages of Scripture and go over them again and again and again. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's all gospel. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. All gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.14 He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. All gospel. Or take this. uh, Go and memorize Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. Or memorize Colossians chapters 1 and 2. Or memorize Romans chapters 1 through 11. Let it sink in deep. As you apply gospel truth to life, you won't go to extremes because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bound you in the... In, we talked last week about staying in line with the truth of the gospel. That you won't go to legalism, you won't go to license, you'll, go, you'll be straight, in, keeping in line with, with God and his word and, and the gospel truth. But let me say this, and then we'll be done. Um, so the worship team, come on back up. If, uh, we can't do it alone. We need the Holy Spirit. I love the way D.A. Carson put it. He said, there has, there has not only been an objective public act of divine self-disclosure in the crucifixion of God's own Son, there must be, there must be a private work of God by His Spirit in the mind and heart And if we express unqualified gratitude to God for the gift of His Son, we should also express no less gratitude for the gift of the Spirit who enables us to grasp the gospel of His Son. See, unless the Spirit enlightens us, God's thoughts will remain alien to us. One last verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1. says in verse 12 I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me verse 14 says by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit entrusted to you that's the gospel message not just to share with unbelievers but for all of life let's pray Lord God, thank you for for your strength that you who dwell within us are able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to us and that you want us by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us 
to guard that good deposit as well. Lord, we're here, we're, we're ready, and, and, and we want what you want. We want to be presented, to, uh, presented holy and blameless and above reproach before you. We want to be found in Christ, our hope of glory. We, we want Jesus to be our life, Lord, and we know the gospel's ultimate goal is, is your glory and your honor and praise. And so we praise you even now for what you're doing and what you will do.